Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, YouTube? Um, I'm Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries. Soundoftrumpetministries.com. And um, I wanted to bring a teaching today. You know, uh, it won't be too long today, but I think one that really needs to speak to the people of God, to speak to the children of God, to speak to us as those who are self-proclaiming Christians, that they really have an understanding of who God is and what God wants and what God's desires are. Um, Today's study is going to be called Woe Unto the Lukewarm. Woe unto the lukewarm. And why I want to go here and talk about this is because I've seen some very disturbing things, you know, going on where a lot of Christians are ashamed of Jesus. They won't profess his name. They won't, you know, believe in him enough to share the gospel. And, you know, what I've found a lot in churches today is where a lot of people are even trying to fit in. They're just trying to be a part of the collective when God never called his people to be this way. And I think that there's a line being drawn in the sand. And I think that when that line is finished being drawn, I believe that whatever side people are going to be standing on is going to be the one that they will spend eternity. And why I say that is, is because the Bible gives us countless examples and times of such things happening, like everyone laughed at Noah, no one believed Noah until the day he entered into the ark. And then there are other things such as, you know, Lot and his wife, uh, you know, the line was drawn in the sand. God told them to walk forward, do what he says. And what ended up happening as his wife looked back and she ended up becoming a pillar of salt fixed in that position forever. And What I'm finding today with a lot of Christians for a lot of churches that have sold themselves out to be modeled after the world, a lot of Christians that don't think it's important to preach the gospel or stand for the truth in Jesus Christ, even if it's at your workplace, even if it's a place of business, even if it's something that God never, you know, that God is totally against. And you know this, but yet you compromise your values for the sake of having a uh, making a living and doing things. I believe that these lines are being drawn in the sand. And like I said, I think there's going to come a point where God is not going to allow those who have given themselves over to their own lust, you know, and their own fears and desires and uh, things that they want in the world. He's not going to allow them to cross back over. And I really feel like this is coming so again, this, this message is called Woe Unto the Lukewarm, because we're going to discuss quite a few things concerning God's spirit, what God wants. Either you're with him or you're against him. Either you believe in him or you don't. Either you're of Christ or you are of Antichrist. And I believe that the Bible is making this plain, because one thing God does not want us to do is make friends with his enemies that's the very first commandment that he ever gave his people that, that he told them, you know, um, 
thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I think in many ways we've been crossing back and forth over the fence. And God knew this because of our ignorance, but now he's calling us all to repentance that we may choose one side or the other. Okay, so um, I want to get right in. Let's go to Revelation 3. And let's look at verse 14. And then from there, I'm going to pray and we'll get right into the lesson. But this is now Revelation 3. And we're going to look at verse 14. But I believe, you know, woe unto the lukewarm. Because the lukewarm haven't having yet figured out who God is. And I think even if they do know, the cares of this world tend to take over more of what they you know, do than knowing God and doing what God says. So Revelation 3, let's look at verse 14, and it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things saith the Amen, and faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Okay, so this is speaking of Jesus Christ. And it says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, or um, I would thou work cold or hot. Uh, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So this is God here talking and speaking about that, or Jesus Christ, I should say, is speaking and saying that, you know, he wished that the church of the Laodiceans were, you know, either hot or cold. He would prefer that they be hot or cold. But he says, because they are neither hot nor cold, that he will spew them out of his mouth. Now, this is what Jesus says. When someone spews something out of their mouth, you would imagine that it has to be so disgusting a taste that you don't want to keep it in your mouth for another minute. You spew it out as if almost like vomiting. And it's kind of like, you know, we make God sick with this type of um attitude to jump both sides of the fence back and forth the bible tells us in james 1 and 8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and it says don't think that that man shall receive anything from the lord so that's important that we understand this he says because thou sayest i am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So this is the Lord here making this point and letting it be known that he says the reason why he doesn't deal with these people that are lukewarm is because they say they're rich and they're increased with goods. I would imagine that this is the worldly nature or worldly mindset that is against God. And he says, and have need of nothing. And he says, thou knowest not that thou art uh, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So you see, these are even the people that think that they can go on without God, that they could be good and have their own by their own righteousness, but they're not really following the things that God wants them to. So he says, man, they're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You look at every false prophet out there that's making millions of dollars. There are so many that come to mind. T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, Joe Olstein, um, Joseph Prince with his super grace. And you got all these prosperity preachers, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, you know, Word of Faith Movement, Rick Warren, so many out there, Joyce Meyer, Paula White. They think that they're rich and they're increased with goods and they have need of nothing. 
But the Bible says once again that thou knowest not that thou art wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. So you see, when you've got no God, when you've got no Jesus Christ, this is who you are as an individual. But look at what he says in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy from me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment and that thou mayest be clothed, that they that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with thyself, that thou mayest see. So God recognizes, as he did with Israel and Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, how they were miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and didn't even know that they were this way. And God wants to counsel them and says, look, buy from me the real gold that is tried in the furnace of fire. When it says gold here, it's speaking of the treasure that God has given us that only Jesus Christ can fulfill. So when you buy this gold from Jesus Christ, it's been tried in the fire, okay? It's been tested, it's been proven. This gold is also Jesus Christ because he wants us to be clothed in white raiment. That's to receive the reward from heaven when all our sins are taken away. And then he says, to cover thy nakedness, so it would, you know, it would appear that we have a God and not just be anybody. You see, God wants us to be clothed. He wants to be our father. He doesn't want us to be bastards and against his way. Okay, so then it says, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. So one of the reasons why people don't understand their need for Jesus is because they're blind. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world blinds the minds of those that believe not. Okay, so a lot of these people can't see clearly. They think that they have, but not having God, they don't have. And then it says, as many as I love, I rebuke. You see that? And chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. So if Jesus Christ loves you, he's going to tell you about your ways. He's going to tell you about your sin. He's going to chasten you to the place of perfection and being made right for Christ because he does not want you to stray away. But you see, people that are lukewarm and those who like lukewarm gospel, they don't get told about sin. They just want to feel good. They just want to be happy. They just want to enjoy life. And you know something? That's not of the love of Christ. He just said here, verse 19, read it again. As many as I love, I rebuke, I correct, okay? I, I um, uh, reprehend severely. And then it says, and chasten and be zealous, therefore, and repent. God wants us to repent and walk in his righteous ways. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So what the Lord here wants with his people is intimacy. He wants us to know him in a very intimate way that we may be like him and that we may understand, even as we grow in Christ, our need for him that we won't depart from him. That way we won't be lukewarm, but we will walk in his righteousness. And then he says in verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down at, I mean, with uh, my father at his throne. So we understand here that the same way God the Father elevated Jesus to sit on his right hand, 
is the same way Jesus wants us to sit on his right hand. But, you know, this all comes down to whether or not we believe Jesus, whether or not we're fervent and hot for Jesus, whether or not we believe that, you know, he is everything and this world is absolutely nothing. But he called them hot or cold. He, he says that the lukewarm he will spew out of his mouth because you're making friends with God's enemies and then you're acting like everything is OK with God. So we better understand what lukewarm is. As a matter of fact, I want to get the definition, guys, and then we're going to go into prayer. And I, I think we're going to all get something from this lesson. But this is um, Revelation 14. I want to look at this word again. Lukewarm. This is G5513. And it says, tap it, lukewarm. Metaphorically, of the condition of the soul, wretched, fluctuating or wretchedly fluctuating between the torpor and a fervor of love. So you see, we're caught in the middle. We're in a place of, you know, just disgusting, kind of like a harlot. When it says wretchedly fluctuating, that's what a harlot does. A harlot doesn't acknowledge that her husband is who he is. A harlot tends to waltz back and forth between two relationships, being unfaithful to both, but trying to appease whichever one that they're standing in front in front of. And that's not what we want to do as Christians, because, you know, that's just disgusting. To even think about when God is good and he's deserving of all of our love and all of our grace. So let's understand that, you know, woe unto the lukewarm, for they are not of God. God is going to marry a bride. And as we read in Revelation 17, a few days ago, those that are with God, are called, chosen, and faithful. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is both paths. You know, do you really want to be in the middle, or do you really want to uh, go to one side or to the other? So let's pray, and let's get right into the lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters, Lord, those in the ministry, those online, those who are trying to find their way, Lord, and those who are lost and in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that your messages be anointed, that they who hear your gospel will receive you and go in the ways of you. As you said, Lord, to him that have an ear, let him hear. So we know that these messages are not for everyone, Lord, but we pray that people may gain some understanding that unless we have you, Lord, then there is nothing that we can do in this world. Unless we have you to, to seek eternal life, there is nothing even to gain or look forward to in this temporal one. So I pray, Lord, that your people's hearts, that they draw closer, that they desire you, that they walk with you, that they learn about your goodness and who you are, that they might receive you and walk as you walked. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so from here, let's jump right into the lesson. I want to go to Genesis 14, and let's look at verse 8. Let's go to Genesis 14 and verse 8. And from here, we're going to look at some of the things that, you know, what lukewarm actually means and how God's faithful servants never wanted anything to do with it. Okay, 
So let's understand this. Lukewarm is not one way to walk with God. All right, so this is Genesis 14. Let's look at verse 8. And this says, There went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same in the same is Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. Now, you know, this is the war of the giants. This is what was going on at this time. There were giant tribes that didn't just fight against Israel and other humans, but they fought amongst themselves. And look at verse 9, and it says, With Kedliomer, the king of Elam, and with Tittel, a king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, that's Nimrod, okay, that Amraphel, and Ariah, king of Eliezer, or Eliezer, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of, of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went there away. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, uh, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So, you know, I want to say something really interesting, too, that I've noticed here. Now, Lot, who was staying in Sodom and Gomorrah, the giants took and fled with him, okay? He became like, well, I guess you would call uh, booty for the rest of them or cattle or whatever. But, you know, it's important to recognize that this was Sodom and Gomorrah, that, you know, the, the people that were fighting that was taken over. You know, I saw something very interesting today while I was at work. And I realized that this battle is a lot closer than we think it is. And, you know, they're, they're starting to use these bathrooms that are supposed to be non-gender specific that anyone can use. And, you know, that was an eye opener to me. That was something that just told me, you know something, even though they haven't thrown whatever in my face yet, and even though this wasn't in my place of work, but I'm recognizing that it's that close for us to be swept away in the flood of this Sodom and Gomorrah and all these rules and all these things that they're going to make law and that they want us to stand for. And they dare anyone to speak up against it. You see, this is going to be a part of that lukewarm that a lot of Christians are going to get themselves caught up in. And they're going to sell their souls for a bowl of pottage instead of standing for Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Because as Christians, we can't afford to take another step back. We've got to step forward into the battle with Christ and win over people that are deceived and not understanding what this thing is about. But I'll continue for now. It's just something to think about. So it says, they took Lot and departed. Verse 13, and there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, uh, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Adner, and these were confederate with Abram. So, you know, Abram found out that Lot was taking his nephew. Abraham rammed up his forces and he said, okay, let's go and get him. Now, you know, this is something for us also to learn because those giants must have been frightening at that time. But here's Abram, who later became Abraham, is going to get his nephew Lot by any means. Okay, look at verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken, 
a captive. He armed his trained servants born of his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Haba, uh, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So Abram, well, a lot of people like to look at him as some meek and humble man. You know, that was before God. You even see in early in Abraham's life, he was a warrior for God. He was willing to go to battle and he trusted God with every single thing. But one thing is for sure, he only had 318 men, but he still went, they won the battle and he got back everything that these giants took and he wiped them out. You know, so great for Abraham that he understood what side of things he was on. This is something that we've got to understand today as Christians that our job is to get full of Jesus, break down strongholds, preach the gospel, and set captives free. This is why Jesus came. So look at verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedliomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, uh, which is the king's dale. Uh, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was uh, the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram um, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which have delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes to all. So, you know, this Melchizedek, which I know from the way the Bible described him in the book of Hebrews, I know that this is a Christophany of Jesus Christ because he's called the King of Peace, which is what we call Jesus today. So this is a Christophany. This is an early showing of Jesus that came to address the, um, Abram um, at the same time that the King of Sodom came to congratulate Abraham also. We got to understand what Abraham did concerning Lot is a show of Abraham winning souls, you may as well say, and redeeming that which the enemy took from him. So look at the work of Abram. And when that happened, there were two people that came to see him. One was the king of Sodom, which was, I believe, was the devil himself. And the other was Melchizedek, who was of God, that gave him tithes. And I mean, Abraham gave him a tithe, and he blessed Abraham with bread and wine, which is symbolic for Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Okay, an anointing. So the king of peace, which is Melchizedek, blessed Abraham with this anointing, you may as well say, and gave him all these things and called him blessed. And then you've got the king of Sodom. Let's see what he offers Abraham so that we may understand that, you know, this is two imposing forces going at it, trying to win over one soul. So let's look at this. Verse 19 says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, and, and uh, blessed be the most high God, which have delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. So Abraham gave this God all, all right? He gave Melchizedek all, because he recognized Melchizedek is who gave him victory over his enemies. So if you look at verse 21, it says, 
And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons, okay, and take the goods to thyselves. So we understand here that the king of Sodom is asking for something entirely different. All Melchizedek wanted to do was bless Abram for his victory, for having faith in God and doing what God says. And Abraham gave him every piece of, of what he owned as a tithe. Okay, then you look at the king of Sodom. He's asking for the persons. Give me the persons and I'll give you the riches or you can take the goods to yourself. So you see, this is like the devil that wants the souls of men. When it says take the persons or give me the persons, that word in the Hebrew is nefesh, which means the souls. So this, this king of Sodom wanted the souls of the people while he wanted to make Abraham rich. And now let's see what Abraham's response is because you got a lot of false prophets and pastors that took this deal and wanted to say, okay, I'll give you the souls. I'll preach some garbage gospel. I'll give whatever is necessary that I may obtain the riches. But look at what a faithful man of God does in verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take away, um, I will not take anything that is thine, that is yours, lest thou sayest, well, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. So you see, Abraham did not take what this king of Sodom offered him because he knew that the king of Sodom could actually brag and say, I made Abraham rich. So this is not the kind of thing that Abraham wanted to do because that would have given the devil allegiance over him. And this is what you find with a lot of Christians today. Many of them are being made rich by the devil. A lot of Christians are recording and signing contracts to go and sing music only to be turned like hill songs against God, you know, and, and to uh, fully give their praise and worship over to the devil. So we must understand that the devil offered Abraham the souls of the people that were under him just for the riches, and Abraham refused. But you see, this is a, a, a called and chosen and faithful vessel of God that he's not going to go according to the riches of the enemy. He's going to bless God. And as you know, in this story, God is the one who made Abram rich. So look at verse 24. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Edner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So as you understand, the men that were with Abram, they were allowed to, you know, and uh, have the same reward that Abraham had. But one thing Abraham did not do was uh, yield to what the king of Sodom wanted him to do to take from him. So that's important that we understand this. And I just wanted to bring that point forward because the king of Sodom is still alive today. That's the one who's going to come to you and say, if you don't stand for homosexuality, you're going to lose your job. But as you can see, Melchizedek wants to anoint everyone that will stand for the Lord, no matter what, no matter where they are, and understand the importance of the king of peace that has given them praise, that's giving us the rewards, the inheritance that God wants us to so that we can follow God. These two are still at war today. One is Jesus Christ and the other is the devil. 
Okay, so let's understand that. So let's move on. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 30, and I want us to look at the lukewarm and the things that they desire that are not of God. So you and I may stay clear and seek the things that are of God. So this is Isaiah chapter 30, and let's look at verse 1. We're going to find how not so different the world was then as it is today. All right. Isaiah chapter 30 and look at verse one. It says, woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. So as you can see, the king of Sodom wanted Lot to add sin to sin, but Lot refused. I mean, not Lot, sorry, Abram. The king of Sodom wanted to give Abram, you know, of things that were not of the spirit of God to add sin to sin. Look at this again. It says, woe to the rebellious children, which Abraham was not. And it says, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. So Abraham was taking counsel of the king of peace, which is, you know, Christ, which is Melchizedek. But you remember the king of Sodom was also there that wanted to um, counsel him also to take from him so that he can get the souls that were with him. But he says, these people, these rebellious children, they take counsel, but not of God, and that cover with a covering, but not of his spirit. So these rebellious children are governed by another spirit, which are, you know, what we talked about last night, about those who are given over to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, as Ephesians 2 and 2 says. So he says these people have another governor, okay, another king, and they may, that they may add sin to sin, okay? So they will even seek, and you find this a lot with false pastors and prophets, you find a lot of these people will go and join up with a pastor that will not speak of their sin, that will not encourage them to grow stronger in Christ because they prefer that lukewarm gospel. And you see, that doesn't touch sin. So what happens? You go into a sinful place thinking it's a holy place. And while you think you're being sanctified, all you're doing is adding sin to sin. Look at verse two, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. So when it talks about them trusting in the shadow of Egypt, Egypt is a type of world. And it says these are where that these rebellious children choose to go. They want to walk down and become a part of the world, become a part of Egypt. And it says they haven't asked at God's mouth, but they asked to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. A lot of us want to be strengthened in the strength of the world, okay, or of the devil. We don't want God's counsel. And that's why when you've got these self-proclaiming Christians, when you tell them about the world, when you tell them about these false holidays, when you tell them about Jesus, you find a lot of these people will turn away from that, okay, and they will head towards Pharaoh, who will appease their nasty, stinking flesh, so it says they trust in the shadow of Egypt. They trust in, in Egypt's government. Look at verse three. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame 
and the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. So because these people are trusting in the world, trusting in Egypt, trusting in the Antichrist, it says, therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, because you know what's going to happen. We're going to rely on the world one day and it won't be there. We're going to rely on the riches or the cares of this life only to see them sucked away from us. And it's going to be their shame. And then it says, and the trust of the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. Now we're getting somewhere because another word for confusion is the word perversion. And you see, this is what the lukewarm do. When the time comes to represent Christ or to present the gospel or to stand for Jesus in the workplace or wherever we are, what we will find people doing is caught up in confusion. I don't know what I should do. Should I represent God and tell people the truth or should I compromise my Christian values that I may walk and be with the harlot, that I may be of the world? that I may need to do these things, that I, make, make, that I may make some money. You see, this is the confusion that's in the hearts of the rebellious children because those who are obedient have already sold themselves out to Christ. Look at verse four. For the princes were at Zoan and his ambassadors came to Haines. Um, they were all ashamed of, the, of a people that could not profit them nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beast of the south into the land of trouble and anguish, uh, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and the fiery uh, flying serpent, they will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels, to a people that shall not profit them. This is what you find. This is what Abram refused to do. Abram wanted to give the king of peace his best. Okay, the king of Sodom wanted him to sell everything or, you know, give me the people and I'll give you the riches. A lot of us self-proclaiming Christians today are giving the offering of Cain and not the offering of Abel. The Bible says here in verse six that, you're going to carry all your beast into a land of trouble and anguish where the vipers and the fiery flying serpents are. And you're going to carry your riches upon your shoulders of young asses and the treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. And this is the saddest thing to watch a Christian do when he's lukewarm is to give his give everything to the world, study and get his degrees man making himself tired and weak and weary and worn out and to, you know, work overtime and overtime and overtime. And you're doing all this and all the things that God asked you for, you won't give him five minutes to pray before him. But before this Egypt or this shadow of Egypt, you're going to give your best and it's not going to profit you. Don't you know that no matter what you do for the world, no matter how much you pay for your house, you still got to pay the taxes even after you got the house. You see the cunning nature of the devil right after you buy a car, if you don't pay the insurance on it, that your car can be taken from you. Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see how you can't have anything in this life that we're putting all our eggs into a basket that will not profit us? But yet there we are buying up all our goods for Christmas, giving everything to the devil to try and make the devil 
I mean, to, to try and act like it belongs to God. This is what we're doing, man. And this is hurting us as Christians. Look at verse seven. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. So as you can see, you know, Egypt represents a type of world. And it says that it would help those uh, rebellious children uh, to help them in vain. You guys can even see the same things play out in Hollywood where people will sell their souls, get sodomized, do all these things, get on a director's couch just to make a little money, just to become rich and famous. And you think that you've made it. You think that you've got it only to find out you've got to do more perverse and wicked acts and lose your mind and then die a mysterious death that no one knows what happened to you. Well, I can tell you what happens to you. When the devil is done with you, he bumps you off. But you see, this is the type of thing that these people are relying on the Egyptians for, and it's going to be of no profit to them. Jesus says, what profit hath a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So then it says in verse eight, now go, write it before them in a table and note it in the book that it may be for a time to come forever and ever. Uh, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. So you see, there's a lot of rebellious people out there because God may be calling us to tell people the truth. God may be calling us to get away from things that are not of God. But as you can see, these people are rebellious. And it says they're lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. And look at what they say. Look at verse 10, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. So as you can see, with people that bring messages like myself and those who really know the gospel and want people to be saved and know Jesus Christ, he's speaking of here that these children will say to the seers, who are the seers? Seers are prophets. Seers are, you know, shepherds and pastors and bishops and teachers, those who will see the wickedness that we speak against today because we watch over the souls of people that they won't fall victim to the enemy. Well, when you look here, it's saying that they're asking the seers, they're asking the pastors, they're asking those who are faithful to God, that God has given them government, don't see, see not. I don't want to see, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about how this world belongs to the devil. I don't want to hear that the whole world lies in wickedness. So I don't want to see this. And then he says to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Don't tell us the right thing to do, because that seems kind of rough. But they say prophesy unto us smooth things. They want things prophesied to them that they can actually, you know, digest easily and rest with their conscience and still have their rebellious and sinful life. But he says prophesy deceits. Don't tell us the truth. Tell us lies. Tell us good lies that we don't have to worry about the scary things of heaven and hell, that we don't have to worry about crossing over into the world and being warned of the Lord. You see, these people want to be prophesied to smooth things. They would rather be lied to than to hear the truth. And you know something? That's the lukewarm church today that refuses to understand God. Many of them believe that they're in a church 
and they believe that even though there's no true gospel being preached, as long as I'm sitting in the church, that that man in the pulpit is a man of God. But we know that this isn't true. You see, God's men are appointed by God to preach the gospel, to open the scriptures, to rebuke and chase the people of God, that they may not fall away, that they may understand God's goodness and walk in his ways. Verse 11 says, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause, uh, cause the Holy One of Israel uh, to cease uh, from before us. Uh, wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore with this iniquity shall be, I mean, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out of the high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly and at an instant. So you see, when we're not following God, it puts us in the path of the wrath of God, especially when God tries to come to us to tell us the truth and the right ways to walk, and we choose not to. You see, this puts us in dangerous standing with God, because if he's got to come and visit you, he's going to judge the situation, and you're not going to like the outcome. So it is good that we receive God's correction and the things that God wants, that we can be on the right side of things. You see, obedient children love to hear the word of God, even if it's a spirit, you know, I mean, even if it's um, speaking of their sin and the things that we've fallen short of, we want to know these things that we can grow, follow God and please God. But he says, for those who despise God's word, that he's going to judge them and he's going to come upon them swiftly as in, swiftly as in an instant. You don't want that, man. You want to obey God and do what God says, that we may be right with God and do what God says, okay? We don't want to rebel. We don't want to fall away. We don't want to go in the ways of unrighteousness or lukewarmness because there, there's going to come a point where we're not going to be able to jump back on the other side and proclaim God. Now, you remember when Moses made this happen with the golden calf? He told the people, for those who are on the Lord's side, come over here. Those who are on the devil's side or whatever, stay where you are. And as you remember, the ground opened up and swallowed, I think, 23,000 that they dropped into hell or 3,000, something like that. But the point is, as God always gets to the place where he draws a line in the sand. Remember in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah had his battle with the prophets of Baal, he said to them, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God be Baal, follow him. But if not, follow God. And he says, and the people answered him not a word. The people were caught up in perversion and they were caught up in confusion because of the fact that they were partaking in the ways of the world. If you are a partaker in the ways of the world, when it comes time for God to call his soldiers into battle, you will be hesitant and not know what to do because you have given yourself over to having your heart halfway in the world. That's why Jesus warns us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's why Proverbs speaks about, you know, guarding our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. So we're not supposed to be walking around having our heart connecting to just anything. We want our hearts to be in good standing with God that we may obey God 
and follow what God wants. Woe unto the lukewarm. Let's move on. I want to go to, um, let's go to Luke chapter nine and let's look at verse 38. This is Luke nine and verse 38. We're going to hear the words of our Messiah. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost is supposed to be our comforter and we find ourselves in places looking for other comfort outside of the confines of God and his law, then what you end up finding happening is people will find another comforter and that will be their so-called Holy Spirit that they will listen to, that they will indulge in, that they will confide in. And what happens? They end up missing out on God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is what we need to cling to, because that's why he's here, to bring us into all truth and righteousness. It says that he is the spirit of truth. So if we forsake the spirit of truth, all we have left is the spirit of error, which is going to take you away from God. So this is Luke 9, and we're going to begin at verse 38. All right. Luke 9 and 38. Let's look at verse, I mean, well, verse 38, obviously. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him uh, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly uh, departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. So you know that this is a spirit of epilepsy, which is um, what they call moonstruck or a lunatic. And it's speaking of, you know, how um, people may have epileptic seizures. So, you know, you know here that epileptic seizures can be demonic. But it says in verse 40, he says, And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you um, and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. So the Lord is saying, bring your son here. My disciples can't cast him out. And he called him faithless and perverse. The word faithless in the Greek speaks of not being able to be trusted. And perverse means, you know, going against or fighting against the um, or the or opposing um, the saving purposes of God. So you see, this is something that we've got to be made aware of. Jesus called them faithless and perverse because they were not really totally sold out. They were disciples but they didn't have the spirit that Jesus had where he severed all ties to be with him. Look at verse 42. And as he was yet a coming, the, uh, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all things uh, which Jesus did, and then it says, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears for the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. And there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, 
took a child and set him by him, and then said uh, unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth, he followeth not with us. So I want to make two points clear before we go any further. Jesus made clear to his disciples, unless we have the heart of children, unless we have as much trust in God as children have in their parents, then we won't be great in the kingdom of God. We won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. So this takes total trust. This doesn't take lukewarmness, which is trusting in something else. This is trusting in God. All right. So then he also said, John, one of his disciples said, Lord, we saw a man casting out devils uh, in the name of Jesus. And it says, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. So, you know, they saw a man believing the words of Jesus Christ and were casting out devils. And uh, they, they told the man to stop because he wasn't following Jesus Christ or walking, you know, with the disciples. If you look at verse 50, it says, and Jesus said unto him, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So even though this man may not have been walking, you know, with the disciples and doing everything the disciples were doing, this individual still believed in Jesus and was casting out devils. And Jesus made clear to his disciples, don't forbid this man, for he that is not against us is for us. Okay, so he wanted to make that clear. Either you're for Jesus or you're against Jesus. If you're doing the works of Jesus, it doesn't matter what church you go to. The bottom line is you're for him. And I believe if you're led by the spirit, you're going to be in a Holy Ghost filled church. You're not going to be in a place that's not going to that's going to speak against God. Verse 51 says, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans uh, to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So because Jesus looked like he was from the tribe of Judah, because Jesus looked like an Israelite, the Samaritans didn't want him to come into their land. They didn't receive him. So you can say the Samaritans were racist. So then it says in verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John saw this, who they said, Lord, uh, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven to consume them even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So this ought to ring loud to us and speak to the children of God here, because those people wouldn't receive Jesus because they were Samaritans. Okay, so it's important that we understand that racism has no place in the kingdom of God concerning the body of Christ. But these disciples in turn wanted to devour them up because they weren't with Jesus and Jesus said he came to save the lost, okay, not to 
condemned them. So Jesus told them, you're of the wrong spirit, wishing bad on these people. You want them to get saved and to find the truth. That's why he came. But you see, if we're here as Christians, not to destroy men's lives, then that means that we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to be a part of the saving purposes of God. But if we're not, then we're going to be against God, just living our regular lives, doing the things we want and not of God. So it's important that we understand that these things are all about, you know, God's saving purpose, that we can preach the gospel, that we won't be lukewarm, that we will be standing on the side of what Jesus wants. Okay, and it says, and they went to another village. Look at verse 57. This is Luke 9 and 57. Ooh. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of, of the air uh, have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. So Jesus made clear to this individual that wanted to follow him. He didn't say, go home, live your average life and meet with me whenever you can. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, foxes have holes, birds have nests. He says, but the son of man have not a place to lay his head. So Jesus made it clear to this man, hey, if I'm going to be home, I'm homeless. Okay, I'm out here doing the will of God. So if you're going to walk with me, you're going to have to forsake a lot to walk with me. So look at verse 59. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. So, you know, that sounds reasonable. This man just lost his dad. Jesus said to follow him. Ooh, something is attacking me today. But Jesus said to follow him. And the devil, I mean, not the devil. Jesus said to follow him. And this man said, okay, Lord, I'll follow you. But suffer me first to go and be with my father. That's pretty reasonable, or to bury him. So look at verse 60. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So Jesus was saying, hey, whatever is done is done. You know, let the dead bury their dead. Now that I've, I've extended life unto you to follow me, he's saying the most important thing is to go and preach the gospel and the kingdom of God that people may receive the gospel. So people may think here that Jesus is insensitive, but he's not. Jesus was making it clear what's dead is dead. What's gone is gone. What was of the past life is of the past life. Now we need to preach the gospel and follow God. So look at verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first uh, let me, or let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is trying to tell us is there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. There's nothing more important than going in the ways of Jesus and doing the things that Jesus says. And what we must understand about being born again, we are removed from our first life unto the second, which is to be led by Christ. A lot of us want to incorporate the old world and the old life and the old nature with the new life. And you see, those are the lukewarm individuals that we're speaking of 
that don't understand. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you're looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And that ought to tell us something about remembering Lot's wife. Remember how she looked back. Remember how those who didn't believe, you know what, uh, those who did not believe what was told to them um, concerning Noah. These people had given themselves over to not believing, indulging in their sinful lives until God shut the door. So I believe there is going to be, and it's coming real soon, a line drawn in the sand to try and keep the people of God away from um, the, the things of the world. For those who want to be lukewarm and jump back and forth, what they're going to find out is this one thing, that they won't be able to jump back and forth for long. You've got to choose a side to walk with God and do what God says. So let's go to Luke 11, Luke chapter 11. And I want to look at verse 14 because we're going to magnify this point tonight that God is only concerned about those who are willing to come his way. Yes, he loves the unsaved too, but if he extends his grace, if he extends his salvation, his life, his words, that should mean something to us that we may receive life and not death. But if these people refuse it, how long do you think God is going to keep extending his hand to get you to come in when it's clear that you would rather be a dog returning to his own vomit, that you would rather be a pig wallowing in the mire? So once, once you get to that point with God, then God recognizes, okay, you know something? You don't want me. I've knocked, I've asked you to come in, and you've shut the door in my face every single time for the world or for whatever else you're pursuing. You see, that's the lukewarm. And Jesus says he will spew them out of his mouth if they don't want to come. We make the Lord sick to his stomach when we won't follow in his ways and do the things that he wants. So let's look at verse um, 14. This is Luke 11 and 14. And it says, and he was casting out a devil. This is Jesus. And it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. So they said the reason why Jesus could cast out devils is because Jesus was the prince of the devils that was casting out devils. Look at verse, what pretty much called him Satan. Look at verse 16. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. Uh, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house, um, against, uh, a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. So Jesus is making clear that's not, that's not possible. Satan can't cast out Satan. If Satan throws out Satan, then what you're going to find come to pass is that Satan's kingdom won't be able to stand. So we know that it takes an act of God and his spirit to remove that which is unrighteous, that which is of Satan, okay? That which is holy. Verse 19, he says, And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. So there were children of these Pharisees 
that actually believed God and they were casting out devils too. So he says, if I cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? So then if I cast them out by devils and you can accept that your sons are doing this, then how can they not be on the wrong side of God, okay? Or how can they be on the wrong side of God? So look at verse 20. He says, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. So you see, a lot of us want to go into deliverance and cast out devils. But if we're lukewarm, we can't do this. It takes power in Christ that has forsaken the world, that has gained victory over the very demons that you used to have to deal with demons on the other side. So this is not a job for the lukewarm. Jesus said this, it's not possible that Satan can cast out Satan. And a lot of us have Satan in us trying to cast out Satan. A lot of us have to have the devil in us or lukewarmness and trying to do the acts of God. We've got to be set free to choose what side we are on that we may walk in God's authority and God will give us his spirit to do the works of God. But if you're a part of the kingdom of Satan, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God. Okay, so you've got to have a line drawn in the sand. Look at verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. So as you can see, when we did these teachings on the strong man, a lot of people may have a strong man within that keeps them lukewarm. This is why many of us can only profess and serve Jesus up to a certain point and it's not too long before we go right back to the world. This is a strong man, which is um, one of the enemies of God that Satan placed in your life to be able to keep you comfortable and sitting on the fence. This thing has to be removed. This root demon has to be taken out of your life so that you can walk with God because you can't walk with God holding hands with the devil. And many of us, love the Lord, and many of us are very well-intentioned, and many of us will say, Lord, I'll follow you, but there's certain things I'm not going to give up. That's a strong man. That's like you can praise Lord, oh, yes, yes, Jesus, yes, thank you, Lord, but then they mention adultery, and you, <clears throat> or then when they mention fornication, you back out of it. Then when they mention Christmas, you back out of it. That's a strong man. And these things have got to be worked out and eliminated with God that we can follow God. Because other than that, it's going to keep his palace. And it says it's going to defend its palace. But the Bible says when a stronger than he comes along, then he will remove all these things that are not of God, that we can be right. Look at verse 23. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. So let, let me go back to verse 23 real quick to make this point. Jesus made clear there is no in-between. There is no lukewarm. Either you are gathering for Christ or you are scattering. Either you are preaching the gospel or you're hindering the preaching of the gospel. Either you're winning souls or you're bringing souls unto the world. Either you are a child of the Most High God or you are a child of Satan. There's no in between. 
Okay, so this is what we must understand that woe unto the lukewarm that thinks that they can play both God and the devil. Okay, God can't even use a lukewarm person and neither can the devil. The devil may use you up until your demise, but the devil will get to a place too, like when they institute the mark of the beast, you're gonna join on one side or on the other. So you see all this area that we think we have as playgrounds to play in, it's going to evaporate and both sides are gonna be calling their armies unto battle. They're gonna be calling their troops to say, okay, put this armor on, who's enlisting in war, who's ready to get a job done. And the other, the other side is going to say the same thing because this is an eternal battle. Well, not eternal. This is a temporary battle between God and the devil. Now, you know that Jesus has already won this battle. So all we've got to do is join the winning team. But what the devil will do is entice you to be lukewarm, to enjoy the here and now, and to keep you from being an effective Christian. And that's not what God wants for his people. Okay, so, you know, if you're not with Jesus, you're against him, period. If you don't gather, meaning winning souls with Jesus, then you scatter. You're just sitting around, wasting time as dead weight, not doing what God wants. So he says in verse 24 about the unclean spirit, when it's gone out of the man, it walks through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. So this is a spirit that may have been cast out or cast out by the Lord. These demons actually walk around looking for places to gain entry, okay? And it says, I will return to my house whence I came out. And when he findeth, and when he cometh and findeth it swept and garnished, this is why we can't afford to be lukewarm because you see unclean spirits are gonna be walking around seeking rest and looking for a place to get in. You might have struggled with alcoholism. You might have struggled with rejection. You might have struggled with homosexuality or any other sin out there. And God allowed that demon to be cast out of your life. Now, from there, if you go back to being lukewarm, playing both sides, then this demon will double back and look and see, oh, they're not serving God like they used to. They're not praying as much. They don't have a fasting life or desire for God. And it looks like their faith is waning. So look at what this demon will do. Look at verse 26, when he finds the house swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So you see, these demons will come back with reinforcements that they may live in this place and that they may never get cast out. That's why we can't play both sides of the fence. We've got to trust God and walk with God because God's way is right, okay? So that's important that we understand this. If we're not with Jesus, then we're against him. If we're not gathering and partaking in the work of Jesus Christ and building up the body of Christ, and serving him, then we're serving the devil. There's no in-between, guys. I wish I could find a happy place to land on, but that's not of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter six, and let's look at verse 19. You've got to enlist in war. You've got to choose a side. You've got to sell it out, sell out to one or the other, and there is no middle ground. And praise the Lord Jesus Christ for that, because how many women out there want a husband that's sleeping with them and, and, and you know, sleeping with somebody else? How many um, wives 
I mean, how many husbands want a wife that's out there with you and with another man or woman? You see what lukewarm does? You see what unfaithfulness is like? When the shoes are turned towards you, you see, you see how you don't want to wear them? So why should you expect God to marry a harlot? Why do you want God to be lukewarm? God is good and he deserves our best and he wants to marry a true bride, a virgin, one that is sold out to him. And I know none of us have been virgins in our lives, but the point is here, God and his spirit can restore you to wholeness that you can choose Christ, be with Christ and be presentable to him on the last day. This is what this is all about. But if we want to play both sides of the fence, all we're going to be is a stinking harlot. And that's not what God wants. No wonder he spews the lukewarm out of his mouth because they won't commit to one side or the other. They wallow in lukewarm places. They love the lukewarm gospel. They love the things that are not of God or that can change us and make us right. And that's where they're comfortable. Shame on you because we're supposed to be growing in faith to draw closer to God. But yet you would rather be in a place that won't tell you about sin, that will appease your flesh, that will have you walking in all foolishness and things that are not of God, right unto your demise. So woe unto the lukewarm because we should be selling out to Christ in one way or another that we may have God. Okay, so this is Matthew 6. Let's look at verse 19. Let's hear the words of our Messiah. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt um, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Okay, so look at what he's telling us here that we should be paying attention to things that are eternal, things that can last, things that are of God, you know, instead of worrying about, you know, things in the here and now, because these things corrupt, these things go away, you know, and God's going to destroy this world eventually anyway, and the lust thereof. So, you know, we should be investing in sure things, like he told them in, um, in Revelation 3, to buy from him gold tried in the fire, okay, that we might be cleaned out, that we can truly trust in Jesus Christ. But if we trust in the world, these things rust and corrupt. Look at how we've got to constantly get new cars, new pairs of sneakers, new this and new that. Look at how you were married and you trusted so much in that marriage, only to have that marriage break your heart and turn on you. Because Jesus Christ was not the central focus and also because it's a temporal thing. But what we're talking about is living a permanent life. There's nothing wrong with being married, but there's nothing that you can keep in the here and now. I want you to think about that, how many things we have to replace. But look at the warning he gave in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this is why people are confused. This is why people become perverse. This is why when it comes time to stand for Jesus in the workplace, you know, you'll stand up for homosexuality in these bathrooms, you know, that are supposed to be non-gender specific. This is why we won't stand for Christ, because we know what it's going to cost us. We know what it's going to bring us in the world. And you see, those things are not of God. We've got to be sold out one way or the other to walk with God. And I'll tell you that, you know, um, standing up for homosexuality, that's a huge strong man. That's a huge 
uh, club that the lukewarm hang out in. It's funny how people will sit here and listen to messages until you bring that up. Why? Because that's something that they're connected to where their heart is when it should be after the things of the heart of God. I love the homosexuals to the point of making them aware of if they don't repent of their sins, then what they're going to do is go to hell. That's why it's so important that we follow in the ways of God. If I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth because I mean for you to make it and be a part of the inheritance of God. You see, but a lot of people want to be lied to. They want to be told things that are not true to appease your senses. But how can I love you and lie to you? You see, so I must tell you the truth concerning the things that are of God if I truly want you to be saved. Other than that, I'll let you be lukewarm and remain there knowing what fate you're going to bear. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, then how great is that darkness? Now, a lot of people find light. A lot of people believe you can be a homosexual and be a Christian. You can't be a fornicator and be a Christian, okay? So the thing is, is that a lot of people find their light to be darkness, but they think that they're getting in as long as they believe some of the gospel. They think that if they engage in the world and that is their light, that they're going to be on a safe plane. But the Bible here is telling us if we don't allow Jesus to clean out our eyes so we can see this world and ourselves with a fresh perspective, then man, the light that is in your eye will be darkness and you're going to think it's light the whole time. You're going to think God is for it and you're going to find out that he's against it. So we need to see clearly the perspective of God that we're not walking in darkness. But you see, the lukewarm want to be lied to. They want to be in places that appease their senses so they won't have to engage, engage Jesus or the devil. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, is this me saying this? No, this is Jesus saying this. We can't serve God and serve money. Now, some people may say I may have to work for a living. Yeah, I hear you. But is the money ruling your life? Is the money the reason why you're compromising your values? Is money the reason why you don't have the relationship with Jesus Christ that you should have? You see, there's nothing wrong with money. The problem is, does it rule your life? Does it keep you away from God? Does it cause you to be lukewarm because you don't want to part with it? That's when it gets to the place of you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to hold to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. The two don't run together. Mammon is from the devil, okay? The devil created mammon. Why? To control the ignorant masses and to get them to do what he wanted. You know, um, God, with his goodness and his mercy, God allows us to have. But this money today that controls us is backed by absolutely nothing. But you see, we're chasing that elusive carrot all the way to hell because we won't follow the things that God wants us to. God doesn't want lukewarm Christians. As a matter of fact, there's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. Look at verse 25. 
Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor wit, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, are ye not much better than they? Now this is true, because you see, birds don't worry about what they're going to eat every day. They fall right in line with God's plan and God's nature, and God feeds them. Well, we're made in the image of likeness of God. Why wouldn't God take care of us? Why must we feel we've got to be a part of the world system and do everything the world says to be able to sustain? But you see, this is the faith of the lukewarm. Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to have. Your heavenly father will take care of you. All you've got to do is believe. So look at verse um, 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So I tell people, and what I've been ministering about lately, more than usual, is that God's favor is more important than anything that you can possess in this life. It's not the money. It's God's favor. It's not the job. It's God's favor. It's not what we think we can do in the here and now. It's God's favor. When you've got God's favor, he will plan out your life, put you where you need to be, and do what he needs to do in you, making you compatible with God because you are partaking of his nature and you're desiring the things that God wants you to have. So he calls them they of little faith that live their lives, planning out their lives and doing the things that they want aside from God. Look at verse 31. Therefore take no thought saying what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink or wherewithal or what ye shall be, what shall ye be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of, of all these things. So when he says the Gentiles seek these things, those are worldly people. Those are considered people that did not know of God's laws, statutes, and commandments. So he says the Gentiles seek after these things. They want to preserve their lives and go after worldly stuff. And he says, but look at what he wants us to do in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So as you can see, God comes first. Seek out the ways of God, the will of God, the plan of God for your life, and he'll give you everything that you need, not just in this life, but in the world to come. So he says in verse 34, uh, take therefore no thought, for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So if we rest on the things of the day, if we rest on everyday life, if we pay attention to what we can have in the here and now, it will turn your heart away from God. That's why he says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 
because we're supposed to trust in God, allow God's counsel to plan out our lives and the things that we do. That's what Paul meant to the Colossians in three, that our lives are hid in Christ. But lukewarm individuals, we want all the pleasures of the world and we want God to be okay with it. But you see how far that will go with God if we don't allow him to get us right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. My pages are sticking together today. 1 Corinthians 10, let's look at verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul is telling the people here, don't be ignorant, guys. Everybody left Egypt. All of the Israelites left Egypt. And they all drank and ate the same spiritual meat and drank. And they all drank from that rock that followed them in the wilderness. And that rock was Jesus Christ. So they all started out good. They all started out born again. They all started out in the right place. But look at verse 5. But with many of them, those who had left Egypt, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So as you can see, these individuals were overthrown in their soul, okay? They were overthrown in their mind, their will, and their emotions, things that they couldn't part from, things that they wouldn't allow God to separate them from, they had them in their hearts, and that's where many of them remained. He says, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it, was, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So they were not walking with God. They were not waiting upon Moses to receive God's law, statutes, and commandments, what did they do? They sat down, they ate, they drank, and they rose up to play. You see, this is what the lukewarm do. They've got time for fun and games, but they don't have time for God. It's just amazing when God, you know, when God asked us to assemble, let's just say a breakfast, you know, let's just attend a ministry breakfast or a church breakfast, Let's do these things, guys, so that we can commune together, talk about the goodness of the Lord, and plan out the ways of what needs to be. For a breakfast, you'll have, man, everybody and their mama show up, okay, for that breakfast, that, that ministry breakfast. But when it comes time for a prayer service, it may be you and one or two other people that show up. So you see, a lot of us are given over to our own lust, our own fun, our own needs and desires. But when it comes time for boots on the ground, when God is calling warriors to take to the streets and preach the gospel and do what the Lord says, you'll find not many enlist themselves for war. Why? Because they rather sit and eat and drink and rise up to play. 
So it says in verse uh, eight, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. So you see a lot of them are committing spiritual fornication. This isn't just, you know, being not married and um, well, well, not being married and, and uh, having sex. This is talking also about spiritual fornication. We don't realize how we go through these things throughout the day and throughout our lives how we become partaker of the things of the world that we indulge in and we believe in and we worship these things. And then, you know, you fall when, when, um, when it comes time to stand for God, you fall away. Look at verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them, some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And all these things happened unto them for examples or examples that they were written for our admonition, for our warning, upon whom the ends of the earth are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's why the Bible tells us in many cases not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, to have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil that we may accept the warnings, even those of Peter, when he mentioned, be sober, be, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't sound like a place where we can just hang out, have fun, and, and you know, do whatever we want. This comes a place where we ought to be sober, that we ought to be um, awake, you know, and, and seeing everything, walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, so that we may redeem the time because these days are evil. So we've got no time to be lukewarm. We've got to follow the shepherd as he leads his people from Egypt into the wilderness and unto the promised land, from the outer court into the inner court, unto the most holy place. You know, from the body unto the soul and being led unto the spirit that we may do the things that God wants. So he says in verse 13, oh, verse 12 says, therefore, let him that think he standeth. You think you got this thing figured out? Take heed lest you fall. Verse 13, there have no temptation taken you, uh, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So what Paul is saying here is there's no temptation, guys, that we go through today. And that includes shopping at Macy's or being at the mall or doing anything that we want in this life. You know, whether we've got addiction to anything, you know. There's, there's nothing that we're going through today that, that is a different temptation, but it's common to man. Jesus was in all points tempted just as we were, yet without sin. So you see, it's making it clear to us here that everyone who overcame, overcame things like this. Okay, so we're not the only ones to ever have to deal with temptation or have to forsake some things that we won't be lukewarm. Look, and he says he makes a way for us to escape. But you see, the way that God makes for us to escape, you know, in, in many places, it won't reveal itself if our hearts are tied to something. You know, let's just say I'm hanging out with a woman and, 
you know, she's a beautiful woman. And, you know, we might start talking about Jesus in the scriptures. But if I don't hear the Holy Ghost saying, you know what, you guys should meet in a public place. If I don't hear the Holy Ghost saying, you know what, it's getting kind of hot and testy in here. I think you better go or call it a night. Now, if we go beyond what the spirit is telling us or warning us and we stay there and we indulge those thoughts and we allow that spirit of lust to come around us, it won't be long before we are lusting and committing fornication or adultery or whatever. That's why the Bible tells us to flee these things, you know, so that we won't get caught up in the snare of the devil. But in many cases, we can hear God telling us to leave but a lot of people stay. Why? Because that which is in your heart is that which you're going to really desire and cling to. So that's why we can't afford to be lukewarm. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. You see that? I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessings which, which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it, not, uh, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So what is Paul talking about? They're not divided. They all believe the same. When you take communion or the Lord's Supper, you know, you're taking it, or is it not for, for Jesus? Is it not everyone that takes it? Is it about the communion or being with Christ? You know, so that's what he's making clear here. Look at verse 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they that which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. So look at what he says in verse 19. What say I then? that the idol is anything or that which is offered and sacrifices to idols is anything? Or are you saying that making unholy or unrighteous sacrifices um, to God is just no big deal? Look at what he says. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye would or should be, um, have fellowship with devils. So he's making clear that the things that we offer God, such as Christmas and Easter and all these other things that the lukewarm like to be a part of, he's making clear that these things are not unto God and you can't sacrifice something to God that was meant for devils. Let's understand this. Look at what he says in verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? That's a question for us. Do we think we're stronger than God? Do we think God is no big deal? Do you think God's going to be okay with all the filth that we want to bring forward today and be a part of? Hey, you can't walk with God and walk with devils. You can't be a partaker of the things that God wants and be a partaker of the things of devils. It made very clear here in verse uh, 22 that we provoke the Lord to jealousy. And the question is asked after that, are we stronger than he? Are you big and bad and bold enough to stand against God for being lukewarm and making sacrifices unto devils? 
You see, we must be clear on what side of things we are, we are on so that we can make the proper sacrifices unto God. But if you're lukewarm, you're going to believe and think it's okay to give God something that is sacrificed unto devils. You know, it's just something for us to think about. We're almost done. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, and let's look at verse 9. That's right next to it. You know why people hate messages like this? There's more lukewarm Christians than there are real Christians. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. So you see, you can be deceived into believing that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. That's why you got a lot of, you know, really... Uh, deceiving teachers and people out there, man, that are trying to tell you that you can be lukewarm and still follow Jesus and still be a believer. So he says, don't be deceived because the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. You know what effeminate is? Those are men that believe if they act like, I mean, men that act like women, that they think God is okay with that. Not necessarily gay, but timid, timid, emotional men. Those are not of the kingdom of God. OK, God meant for men to be men. I'm not saying a man can't have emotions, but you know what? I'm going to look this word up so people won't think I'm putting my own spin on it. I want you guys to see for yourselves what the Lord thinks of any feminine man. So we're going to go to first Corinthians chapter six, and I believe it's in verse nine. The word effeminate is G3120. And the word is uh, malikos, and it means soft, soft to the touch, metaphorically in a bad sense, effeminate of a catamite. You know what a catamite is? Of like a homosexual nature, of a boy kept for homosexual relations with a man, of a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness of a male prostitute. So as you can see, God doesn't want men that are acting like women, okay? An effeminate-natured man, a soft-to-the-touch, sensitive, weak man is something that God is not looking for. I'm not saying you can't be meek. I'm not saying you can't be humble. I'm not saying we can't have love and the fruit of the Spirit within. But the effeminate man, those men know who I'm talking to. They know what I'm talking about. God meant for men to be men. And there's just not enough men around today because they want to be lukewarm and appease the people. Then it says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those are sodomites. Those are people that believe in anal and oral copulation, which is considered sodomy. They believe that these things are okay, even in the marriage bed, even in all these other places. And it's defiling the temples of God. Okay, there's a lot of lukewarm people around that. You preach that message of sodomy in a real church, you watch how many real Christians will stand up and walk out. Look at verse 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, 
but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Now, you see, I've had an apple out of the bag of some of these things, and that's why I love how Paul keeps it real in verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Hey, ain't none of us perfect. We all got our apple out of that bag of the world and sexual immorality. But it says, ye are washed now, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So why am I mentioning these things? That people may repent, come to Christ, get right with Jesus, that they may be washed, sanctified, and justified of Christ. Verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So a lukewarm person can't just, you know, do certain things. They've got to be hooked to them. They've got to be a part of these things. And as you can see, God is not for this. He won't be brought. A true Christian will overcome his own lust and the world, the flesh and the devil. And he will do what God says, because that is the calling upon his life. So he says in verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, uh, raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall we then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. So as you can see, he's telling us here that we are the bodies of Christ. We are the temple of God. So if we take these members that belong to Christ, which are your hands, your feet, and your five senses, if you give these things over, okay, to the world or the flesh or the devil, then what you were doing is taking the temple of God and making it the members of an harlot. This is what the lukewarm do because of the fact that they want to be in both sides. They want to join on both sides and be faithful to both. So Paul says, God forbid, what know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith, uh, he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So you see, if we are partakers in the things of the world, then we can become one body with the world. If we become partakers of unrighteous sexual practices that are not of God, we can become one with the things that we join ourselves to. That's why he tells us to join unto God, to recognize that our bodies belong to him. So we won't be lukewarm concerning the temple. We'll respect this temple because it housed the Holy Ghost. So he says in verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. It's outside of the body. Every sin a man commits. But he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So when our lives are hid in Christ and our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost, then God should dictate what we do in our lives and on the day-to-day -day basis. We don't belong to ourselves. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Uh, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you see, if we follow this pattern and we do the things that God says, 
and we become partakers of God's nature, then, you know, we will respect this temple and let God run over it. Let God rule it. Let God determine what he wants to do with it. Let God fill it with his spirit that we can get a job done in Christ. But if you're lukewarm, this is not even a desire for you. This is not even something that you want. What you want is to play both sides. I want a little bit of Jesus and I want a little bit of my own lust and the world. And you see, when you do that, you've got chaos. And he makes clear for the lukewarm, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. He doesn't even want them around. Why? Because they have not been, um, they have not uh, gained allegiance or wanted to be a part of God's spirit or the, um, you know, or the world's. They want to jump back and forth. But Jesus says, if you don't gather with me, you scatter. So we must understand what God wants, that we can walk with God. Let's go to first uh, or second Corinthians chapter six. Let's go there and let's look at verse 14. Second Corinthians six and 14. And we're almost done, guys. Wrong place. All right. This is second Corinthians six. Let's look at verse 14. Look at the warning by Paul to the Corinthians. He says, "By um, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? You know what Belial is? That's another name for the devil. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? You know what an infidel is? It's a kind of dog, and it's also an unbeliever. See, an infidel is someone who is unfaithful to God that wants to have his, his time in the world and do things that are opposite of what God wants. But look at what Paul is showing here. He's showing two sides of the fence. What right have righteousness with unrighteousness? What right have light with darkness? What right have Belial or the devil has to do with Jesus? What right does any of these things have to do with Christ, believers and unbelievers? Because you see, if you hang around unbelievers long enough and you've convinced yourself you're just trying to win them to the Lord, and you know that's not what you're doing, what you want to be is lukewarm. You're going to find that that infidel or that unbeliever will have more effect on you than you'll have on them. You'll begin to act like them. You'll begin to do what they want, you'll, you, but you'll still try and convince yourself I'm just trying to get to know them so I can win them to Christ. And what you're going to find is you'll be backslidden before you know it because you have not joined the side of Christ. You want to dance around on the fence and enjoy the world. And whatever we join to, we become one with. Verse 16 says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So anybody that is not with this, or they're a part of idols, or they're a part of darkness and unrighteousness, those are not God's people. Look at what he says again with this promise. He says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So you've got to come out and be separate from the unrighteousness, says the Lord, and don't touch the unclean things, and God will receive you. You see, that's an if and then statement. So that means if I don't want to be separate, if I like to touch the unclean things, you're not going to be received of God. So that's what we must understand. But he says in verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. But these promises are to those who are separate from the world, those who touch not the unclean things. They are those who God will receive. Okay, so let's understand that. Thank you, Jesus. So you see, there's no room for the lukewarm in this world. So let's go to, um, I'm about to close, guys. Uh, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at uh, verse 1 real quick. And then from there, I'm going to conclude in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're not going to stay on this. We're just going to bring up some key points that people may have understanding about why it's dangerous to be lukewarm. So this is 2 Timothy 3. Let's look at verse 1. He says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. What are perilous times? Those are dangerous, unruly, and wild times. These times are going to come. Why, Paul? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They're covetous, they're boasters, they're proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy without natural affection. Now, some people would say, well, I've got natural affection. I don't know. Do you think homosexuality is okay to be a Christian? Because if so, that's not even lukewarm. That's just a sinner, okay? It's okay if they convert to Christ and become one with him. But the bottom line is you can't be a sinner and serve God. You've got to elect God, expunge sin out of your life through grace as you grow, that you can be right. Another example of without natural affection, it's not natural for a Christian to come and, um, you know, watch people unsaved without food and not want to preach the gospel to them. It's also unnatural as a Christian to pretty much, um, you know, commit abortions and think that's okay with God. That's murder. You see, but only unnatural affection can make a parent, you know, do that to their own children. And a lot of it is for gain. A lot of it is for self-love. I'm not ready to have a child. And you know something? This is what happened to me in my life. And, uh, you know, as much as, as ashamed as I am of it, I know that I'm not living that life today. I know that I've given out my life to Jesus Christ and I've repented of that. And I've asked the Lord to remove me from a spirit of murder. So you see, without natural affection can get you to do some pretty wild things that are not of God. And that's why we must be given over to Christ that the devil has no way in. So he says, let's, let's describe more. Uh, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You see the lukewarm here? having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the warning is from such turn away. 
So you see, a lot of people are sitting in church lukewarm. A lot of people are in ministries lukewarm. A lot of people are self-proclaiming Christians lukewarm that have a form of godliness. They wear their Sunday's best. They sprinkle themselves with perfume and cologne. They say all the right things, but they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They don't even believe that God can overcome every addiction, every sin you've got. You see, they don't believe that you can be full of the Holy Ghost and do what Jesus did when he was here. This is what the lukewarm will do. Their belief system jumps in both categories, in the world with the devil or back with Christ for a little bit of time. Guys, we don't wanna just look like Christians. We don't wanna just say what Christians say. We want to be authentic, okay? Built up in Christ to be true Christians of Christ, to do the things of Christ because he's going to spew out the lukewarm. He wants those who are committed to him and desiring him. Look at verse six, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins and led away by diverse lusts. So a silly woman is an immature woman. She's a woman that is not fully given over to, to Jesus. You know, she goes for the okie doke, you know, and, and you see a lot of this in false churches. You'll see some pastors say things and a silly woman is just, oh, thank you. Yes, Jesus. I can feel the spirit in there today. And there was no even no mention of Jesus. There was nothing that was said, nothing convicting of your sin, nothing to build you up truly and spiritually. But it was just something that they, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Oh. And, and the clown said nothing. He said nothing. Those people that even believe that Joe Osteen's Ministry is real gospel, man. I don't know what to tell people, but you know, that's a part of the immature state of those who will not hear the real gospel. Let it wash us clean and make us right, you know, because we want to hear fables and we want to hear lies. Not me, man. I want to move forward with Jesus to do what Jesus says. I don't want to be lukewarm. Verse seven, he says that they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what the knowledge of the truth is? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Okay, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And if we don't get to the place of having him live in us and work through us, then all we're going to be is either lukewarm or reprobate and falling away. So look at verse eight, and he says, now as Jannies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. So remember guys in the 10 commandments in those movies, the two magicians that stood against Moses? Well, he's saying that so will these people be that, that are self-loving, that don't want God, that just would rather have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. He says, these men will be the same that will resist the truth. They are men of corrupt minds and they are reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. You guys remember Bishop Eddie Long sodomizing boys in that new birth church for as long as he has, but what happened? God pulled the sheets off of him and exposed him to all. 
And you see, that's when they proceed no further. When God comes to visit you and comes to deal with you, then you'll find out that you won't go any further. That's why it's important that we accept the truth of Christ. I don't care how hard it makes you feel. I don't care if it keeps you from sleeping. We must understand what we need in Christ that we can be washed clean and do what God says so that we can be one day in the image and likeness of Jesus and not lukewarm. Verse 10 says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, which is love and patience, my persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So as you can see, God delivered Paul from every temptation, every persecution, every situation, because Paul wasn't lukewarm. He was totally sold out for Christ. But look at the warning in verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly, and all that will live godly, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's, that's going to happen for a Christian that is sold out to Christ. Christians are always in trouble because we always see the wrong and we're always bringing forth Christ. We're always bringing forth truth. We're always bringing forth light when there is darkness. And because of that, the world will start to hate us. Some people will accept, but for the most part, we'll always be standing against the world and that spirit because that spirit of the world wants to keep everyone in ignorance, everyone in sin, everyone in darkness, and God means for us to come to that light, okay? So he says, but look, that's the warning. For those who will live godly will suffer persecution. But look at verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you see, there are a lot of people that don't like what I say. A lot of people don't like the gospel. A lot of people don't want to hear about sin and all the things that we need to stay away from. But you see, those are they who are um, deceived. They're, they're evil men and seducers who are getting worse because they're deceiving people, telling them you don't need to serve Jesus with a fervent heart. All you need to be is lukewarm, go to church, and you've got Christ. They're deceiving people with that false gospel, and they themselves are being deceived, not believing that they need to be sold out for one side or the other. So look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you see, let's continue in the ways that God called us to. Many of us were raised in church, believe in Christ. But you see, something got a hold of you. Paul describes it in verse in, um, in Galatians chapter five as you did run well, but who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? Ladies and gentlemen, that is the lukewarm that God wants us to stay away from because a lukewarm Christian is even worse than a, than a sinner because a lukewarm Christian has heard the truth, but they're choosing a tap dance right and left. But you see, a sinner is someone that's cold, that has made his choice, 
and he believed that Satan is the truth, he sold out to Satan. But a lukewarm Christian is an unfaithful person. They can't even be faithful to God or to the devil. That, you know, and that's what Jesus wants to spew out. He wants those that are committed to him to walk with him, to live in his ways, that his will may be done. But if you don't gather with Jesus, you scatter. And that's something that we need to understand. So he says in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Why should we be listening to the gospel and those who are preaching the gospel? Because it's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to be made right? Guys, there's no other way to be made right in Christ than to hear the real gospel, know where your faults are, ask the Lord for forgiveness, ask him to fill you, pray that he stops what, what sins you have, in, you have in your life, that you can truly be holy and sanctified in Christ. That's important, guys. Look, so that way we can have, he says, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that a man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Don't you want to be everything that God wants you to be? Don't you want to see his power and his faith exercised in you? Don't you want to be bold enough to preach the gospel and not be afraid of the repercussions that come our way? Don't you want to do what God says, regardless of the consequences. Well, the only way we're going to get there is to be a part of God, hear the gospel, be a partaker of his spirit, and have him cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we will not be lukewarm, but will be fervent hot unto Christ, doing what he says. Last scripture of the night, you guys can stay where you are. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is the very next chapter. And let's look at what Paul says. He says, I charge thee therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul is warning all those that those who are the quick are those who are allowed God to put his spirit on them and believe. And those who are the dead are unbelievers. You see how he's going to judge them both. But that's why it's important that we both become partakers. I mean, or we become partakers of the nature of Christ, because if not, the dead will be judged who are unbelievers. Verse two, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So here people are also believing in the, in the lukewarm clan that you can't judge. The Bible makes clear that he who is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. If you're not committing the same sins as your brother, and God has cleaned you out to the place of preaching the gospel, then you are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That means warning correct with all long suffering and doctrine. So you see, God want, he knows we're gonna suffer long for bringing forth the gospel, but nevertheless, we should stay hot for Christ. Look at verse three, for the time will come, and that time is already upon us, guys, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So you see, a lot of people have gotten to the place where they don't want to hear the real gospel. They want the lukewarm gospel. They want you to prophesy unto them smooth things, prophesy deceit. They want you to tell them lies to make it in this world today. And he says, after their own lust, will they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. 
This is why they flock by the millions into Joel Osteen's church. This is why a lot of people go into the places that they go into with Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and all these guys because of the fact that they will not allow themselves to hear the truth. They will be turned. Look at verse four. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But Paul tells us, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, win souls, make full proof of your ministry, go and be a real Christian, sell out to Jesus, do what he says, get full of his spirit that he may work with you, that you can infect the lives of others. We've got plenty of spectators, but God knows we need participators. We need participants in this battle, boots on the ground. He says in verse six, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Okay, so Paul is ready. Paul is dying in prison and these are his last words. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now notice, Paul did three things. He fought a good fight for Christ. You can't fight a good fight joining both sides. You've got to sell out to one side or to the other. So he fought the good fight. He finished his course. He did everything that God told him to do, something that the lukewarm will not do. He has kept the faith. That meant any obstacle that came in his life to try and deter Paul from the true gospel, from the true nature, from the true will of God, Paul clung to Jesus. And because of that, look at what he's got in verse eight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only. So this just isn't a reward for Paul, but unto all them that love or long for the appearance of Christ. We can't long for the appearance of Christ if we're lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, you don't want to see the appearance of Christ. You know why? Because you know if he comes, you're not going to be ready. This is why we cannot be lukewarm. This is why we've got to sell out for Jesus because each day is not promised to any of us and we've got to give ourselves over to Christ that we may walk with Jesus and be right with Jesus. So he says, do thy diligence and come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is uh, departed unto Thessalonica, Crescent unto to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. So you see his brother Demas, that was with him in this whole fight, was lukewarm. He had forsaken Paul, loving this present evil world. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to be set free so that we can sell out for Christ, because if we don't, there's only a matter of time before your lukewarmness gets you over to the place of falling away, believing any gospel, anything that will appease your flesh, anything that will cause you not to serve Jesus, you will go with. We got to accept the truth because outside of the truth is the spirit of error. So hopefully people have got some understanding today about why it's important that we're not lukewarm why it's important that we're not given over to the world and why it's important that we sell out for Christ. Because Jesus said, if you be neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that makes God sick to his stomach. So let's be authentic. Let's give it all to Jesus, get full of Jesus and get a job done while it's still time. To reach the masses, preach the gospel, the love of Christ, that people may choose life and not death. 
So I just want to say to people with that, I love you to give your lives to Christ. You know, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. You guys can email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. So I just want to say to people with that, I love you. I'm going to pray out for those who are, who are listening or those who may want the blessings of Christ or these things to play out in their lives. Let he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Every message that we bring forth is of God's remnant, those who will hear the truth. It's meant for all, but we know that all won't hear because they still love this present evil world and prefer to be lukewarm. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the listeners, Lord, and we ask and pray that these words will penetrate deep into their hearts, that they may desire you, that they may spend time with you, that they may get hot and fervent for you, that they may have the things that you want them to have. I pray, Lord, for these hearts that are divided, for those these people that were deceived and lied to, that you don't need to give it all to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you deliver them from the lying words and smooth talk of a false prophet. I pray that you get them armor clad, that you get them ready, that they may seek you, that they may part, depart from sin, that they may walk with you in righteousness. For we know without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I pray and I ask, Lord, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name that you move them from the hearers, that this message may be sanctified, that it may be anointed, that people may choose you, Lord, and not hell. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. I love you all. And until then, have a good week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.